Hey, hey, so glad you're here. You know, I was thinking, if something needs to be rebuilt, doesn't that indicate that something is broken? I mean, think about it. If a structure is needing a rebuild, it's because what exists right then and there does not adequately meet the current or the proposed future needs, right? The same thing with a relationship. If a relationship is needing some rebuilding, it's because something about that relationship is out of whack. And perhaps it's not what it could be or what it should be. And where there is brokenness, many times there is accompanying grief. On this planet, going through seasons of grief is not an option. Sometimes we see it coming. Sometimes we're blindsided by it. And when it does come, it matters. Grief matters. And in our Rebuild series, we've got some grief matters that face Nehemiah. And more importantly, how he deals with those grief matters is worth our attention. You may have noticed back in the first chapter, Nehemiah begins with a specific date you see on the screen in the month of Kislev. And then in the beginning of chapter 2, he has, now they're in the month of Nisan. Those time periods are four months apart. So for four months, Nehemiah has been grieving and fasting and praying all because of the terrible report he got from his own countrymen, his fellow Jews, who came to visit him from Judah. And if you've been through a few months of grief, you know that that begins to take its toll. It's hard to hide it. Look at our text, chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. This put Nehemiah in a tough spot. You see, nobody wants to be around a Debbie Downer anyway, but especially a pagan king who is bent on just experiencing one pleasurable moment after another. I mean... You don't want anything down in your life. For Nehemiah, not to hide his grief around the king might mean losing his job. Worse, might mean losing his head. But God in Nehemiah teaches us something here on what to do with grief. Choose authenticity over fear. That even in fear, being real is the only way forward. Frankly, it's something many of us are slow to learn. I raise my hand. My usual response to grief is to attempt to dismiss it as if it can't touch me, and then to think that I'm bigger than whatever grief might be trying to come my way. The problem with that is twofold. Uh, number one, it does touch me, and number two, I'm not bigger than it. <laughs> It looks as if Nehemiah was able to hide it from the king for a time, but eventually he was caught in his grief. So he chooses to be authentic in spite of his fears. Okay, so we pick up the text, and this is right after the king asks why Nehemiah is so sad. 
Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Well, Nehemiah puts it out there and he doesn't know what to expect. The future is unknown. The king's response is unknown. But he is going to be honest about his grief. Look what happens. Begin with verse 4. The king said to me, What is it you want? <laughs> I wonder if Nehemiah paused at that moment and thought, I cannot believe the king just asked me that. Go on. He shoots up a quick prayer. Nehemiah says, Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, How long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy? <laughs> you see, Nehemiah, he just unloads the whole load right there, doesn't he? I wonder if when the king responded to Nehemiah's grief with, Well, well what is it you want? I wonder if Nehemiah thought, well, at this point, what am I to lose? I mean, I might as well tell him everything I've been praying and planning for the last four months. What do I do with grief when it comes? I choose to be authentic even when I'm fearful. Well, where do I go with my grief when it comes? I go to the preparation through prayer and planning. Nehemiah has already given us his prayer points. He's going to keep adoring God, and he's going to keep being honest about his sin, and he's, and he's going to keep telling God that he trusts him and his word, and he's going to ask God for what he thinks God wants. And what we find out Nehemiah has also been doing these four months of prayer and fasting is he has been planning to rebuild the walls and gates, Nehemiah planned for safe passage there and back, materials and resources to complete the job, and enough time to get it all done. Nehemiah planned for transportation safety by way of the king's authoritative letters to his governors. And Nehemiah planned for the security of the building materials through the king's forest manager. And Nehemiah made sure that both the king and the queen would grant his freedom for a designated amount of time. Y'all, Nehemiah was planning. He put pencil to paper or, or quill to papyrus, as the case may be, and he formulated a game plan. There is no conflict between prayer and planning. The conflict comes when we exclude one over the other. God doesn't want you just to pray and not to plan. And he definitely doesn't want you to plan without prayer. Jesus' little brother, James, spoke to this very issue. Look at how he put it. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, 
go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You see, just like faith and actions go together, so do prayer and planning. Look how Jesus himself put it. Is there anyone here who, planning to build a new house, doesn't first sit down and figure the cost so you'll know if you can complete it? If you only get the foundation laid and then run out of money, you're going to look pretty foolish. Where do we go when grief comes? Well, we go to our preparation through prayer and planning. I don't just pray and then sit on my hands, and neither do I start planning without any communication with God. I cover my grief with prayer and plans. But there's one more direction Nehemiah gives us when grief comes our way. It starts in verse 8. Nehemiah says, And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. Look at this. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. <laughs> it's very important who to trust with our grief. In other words, acknowledge that God is at work behind any success that we experience. Hey, choose authenticity over fear, yes. Prepare with prayer and fasting, yes. And most assuredly, admit that God is responsible for everything. Nehemiah said, Okay, God sent the leaders from Judah, those travelers, to visit with me and share that bad news. And God filled me with grief and fasting and prayer. And God gave me the courage to talk to the king about it. And then God granted me favor with the king. And then... God threw in a military escort to boot. <laughs> Y'all, when grief hits, and sometimes it just seems like it's the end of the world. It can send you into a depression. It can send you into a numbness that you just can't figure out what's going on. I had some of that feeling happen when the pandemic broke out and we decided not to re-sign our lease. We entered into that building project, and some people thought we were nuts doing that. Why would you even commit to that? We, we don't know what's going to happen with church, but you know, through prayer and planning, God has just opened one door after another, and it's happening. It's unfolding right before our eyes. The truth is, God is continuing to write a story. Even when we're blindsided by grief... One of my heroes in the faith is a man named Charles Colson. But when I first met him, I was 10 years old. I didn't meet him personally, but I met him through the news. Grief entered his life through his own guilt and involvement in a giant political scandal called Watergate. He was sent to prison for his crimes. He was in prison that he came to know Christ. Out of his shame and grief and through much prayer and planning, an organization was established called Prison Fellowship, which is currently the largest Christian outreach to prisoners and their families in the world. Prison Fellowship has more than 50,000 volunteers working hundreds of prisons in some 88 countries around the world. Literally millions of people have been touched by this outreach 
which started in 1976 after Charles Colson committed a crime and served time some 50 years ago. God has a plan for each one of us. And the grief that comes along in life is a part of that plan. It's not accidental. You see, the grief we go through is to be used by God because grief matters to Him. And He's already figured out what the purpose will be.